0: Hello and welcome to the Rate Debate. I'm Darren Langer, co head of fixed income at Yara Capital, and joining me is my co portfolio manager, Chris Rands.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: Well, it's the first Tuesday of December, and the RBA has just met, and. Uh... Not surprisingly, they've uh, upped the rate another 25 basis points, um, Chris. I guess, you know, that was probably the, the most expected outcome. Um, there were a few people probably sitting there expecting maybe they could pause. We kind of hoped they would, but didn't expect it. But from what I read of the statement, it was probably the most bland, uninspiring one I've seen yet.
1: Yeah, um, that feels about right. We were We were hoping that they would take a pause here and maybe reassess next year i was even hoping for a 15 basis point hike to get us to a clean three percent
0: let it go chris let it go
1: (laughs) (laughs) but when you look at what they've done they're sticking with the same statement so we've hiked another 25 and we've told you that the board expects to increase interest rates further over the period ahead but it's not on a preset course
0: to me it's a it's a wait and see they they want to get Christmas out of the way they want to give I guess you know it gives them two months which they really haven't had so technically the Christmas period gives them the pause that they they probably need I have a feeling things will look a little bit different when they come back in February certainly um, that's the view of um, our own internal economists but whether they go again in February or or whether um, you know they do decide to sit back and see what happens they've really pretty much said it's going to be data dependent and again they'll have another CPI print then so they Certainly we'll have enough information by February to know, you know, probably the, the next direction, I would say.
1: Yeah, and it feels like, you know, after a year of trying to guess every move and direction and kind of getting feedback from what's going on from both offshore and, and at some time the RBA, it's going to be, I think, a, a bit of a quiet two months where you don't hear much from the RBA and just a bit of information rolls out, which sets us up for what it's going to look like in February next year.
0: So we spent most of 2022 trying to work out what we thought would happen during the whole of 2022. Some we got right, some we got wrong. I guess now is probably the time to start looking into the crystal ball and uh, see what 2023 might be uh, might be uh, bringing for us. One of the things that the RBA has sort of mentioned a few times is they don't think The full impact of monetary policy has hit yet and that monetary policy works with lags. You know, we've talked about the the chance of a a fixed rate mortgage cliff uh, sometime around the middle of next year. Um, You know, I think that's probably the big unknown at the moment for 2023. What what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that the fixed rate mortgage roll-off is is certainly something that the RBA is going to have to be thinking about and dealing with next year. When they did a recent speech, they actually said that the monetary policy is working with more of a lag than it usually would because of those fixed rate mortgages. To put it in perspective of just how large it's going to be, if you borrowed 600000 at 2%, then it's about $500 a week. And if you take that same $600,000 loan and roll it off at at a 5% interest rate, it'll be about $750 per week. So those people that borrowed in early 2020 or mid 2020 took out a, a sub 2% loan for, for two years, they're going to see their cost per week rise by about 50%. So that's a big rise. We think that it will eventually hit retail spending and you know slow down inflation and all those types of things. But certainly for the RBA, the lags from the policy look like they're really set to start ratcheting up from kind of Q1 next year and then progressively more so as more and more of those fixed rate loans roll off.
0: Yeah, and and a lot of the, um, I guess, outcome for housing is also very much dependent on wage pass-through but also employment as a whole. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before. It's very rare that you can... um, you know, enter a, a period of recession, which is, you know, what we still think globally is quite likely without having a rise in, in employment. And and that's going to ultimately, for at least a, some of that cohort, you know, increase that pain considerably if they lose their jobs. I mean, what's, what's the outlook for employment um, as far as you can see?
1: Yeah, I think when you look at kind of the the employment indicators for Australia they still look pretty good and I say for Australia because I'll also kind of discuss a little bit what's going on in the US but if you look at the employment indicators for Australia you can kind of use things like now business conditions you can use job ads most of those remain pretty high there is a bit of weakness coming through some of the AIG surveys if you take the average of those surveys they've been declining for a few months now and, and pointing to some softness so I think for us the unemployment rate and employment will both slow next year, but it 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 still looks like the lead indicators are saying that they'll probably be, you know, relatively strong, if not kind of average employment levels. When you look at the US though, a lot of their lead indicators are really starting to slow down now. So you can look at things like job ads, temporary hiring, overtime hours, hours worked, ISM employment surveys, all of those indicators are now starting to fall. And if you look at employment as a lagging indicator, then then to see those kind of leading sub indexes is is at least giving you some pause that in the US at least the the employment outcome will probably start to get worse.
0: Yeah, one of the things I, I've been thinking about too is that um, as um, you know immigration picks up again in Australia, um, something we haven't had for a couple of years because of COVID. That in itself is probably going to put some pressure on the employment market that we haven't seen. But also, if, if the rest of the world goes into recession, how attractive does that make Australia to potential, you know, migrant workers and and people wanting to uh, relocate to a, to a better place, I guess?
1: That's definitely true. And I think we'll probably start to see big migration figures regardless of what's going on offshore because we're already starting to see that pick up and, and the trend will probably continue to see it that way. I think something that's interesting interesting to me is, you know, when we step back and look at what's going on and kind of mention why we thought the RBA would, or why we hoped the RBA would slow down here, is to just look at the different curve shapes between Australia and the US and the signal that is coming from aggressive monetary policy. So if you look at Australia, you know, our bond curve isn't inverted. Three's tens has about 30 points. And and if you're using that as a lead indicator of recession, you, you kind of look at that and say, Australia is looking pretty good. But if you look at the same curve points in the US, there's about 50 to 80 points of curve inversion. And that's really reflecting the fact that while Australian and US 10-year yields are very similar, the three-year yields in the US are much higher. So if you are going to hike aggressively, your curve's going to invert, and that's what sends the really negative signal. So it's kind of interesting, I think, to look at that and to say, even the signals from the bond market are kind of pointing out that Australia should be relatively better off, but we're also getting those economic indicators not falling away the same as they are in the US.
0: Yeah, and I mean, being bond guys, you know, we we look to the bond market. We think the bond market is probably the more sensible indicator in some cases over, you know, either other investment markets and and even over the econ you know, the economists. And you know, the two things that the bond market are really telling us is that we have you know very flat yield curves to inverted yield curves in most places around the world, which has been a fairly strong recessionary signal in the past. And the other one is that you know, bond break evens globally are, are kind of around the average that they've been for for some time, you know, and mostly sitting around the long term average of most central banks. So it's telling you that the bond market believes that a recession is coming and that uh, central banks are going to get inflation back under control. You know, I think that they're the two strongest signals that we see coming from the market. So it's interesting that many people are still willing to bet against those two signals.
1: Yeah, when you look at Some of the economic indicators coming out of the US, certainly you're getting the confirmation that the recession is potentially coming next year. So, you know, whether you look at the ISM surveys, consumer confidence, you know, housing starts, housing confidence, a lot of those indicators are now pointing to a recession coming in 2023. And I think the market is really starting to price that in terms of you know, what the bond market is thinking with that curve inversion. It's a bit harder, I think, when you look at Australia, though, because our lead indicators haven't really started to fall the same way and the curve remains with somewhat amount of shape. So I, I do think if you look back through history, a recession has always kind of solved the inflation problem. So if the market is expecting that recession to come, then it's kind of not out of the realms of possibilities that you probably should expect to see inflation come down. And that's what the, the break even market is pricing as well.
0: Sure. And I guess, you know, we can't sort of leave it uh, 2023 without thinking about what inflation is likely to do. It was interesting, uh, as we've discussed before, Australia's decided to start bringing out a monthly inflation indicator along the lines that's fairly common offshore. A lot of people expected that to give a much clearer signal forward looking inflation. The last reading was quite weak and a long way below where a lot of people were forecasting it. And uh, pretty much, you know, most of the economists just uh, decided, oh, it's too short a series. We'll just ignore it. But, um, you know, it was certainly the first signal in Australia anyway of, uh, you know, a decline in inflation. So do you think that's a good sign longer term?
1: It's certainly a good sign. It's probably a bit too early to tell, you know, just just what the direction is going to be and how far, you know, you'd expect it to fall. But I I guess the other positive here is that we also saw some of the European inflation figures come out slightly lower than expected. And we've also seen another of the lead indicators start to drop as well. So some of the things that historically I've used and watched, commodity prices and oil, that's um, certainly been down over the past few months. That should help ease inflation a little bit. But also we're seeing producer prices in China start to drop. And also the business survey saying that they're expecting input prices to come down as well. So you've got the first miss in CPI. You've got some lead indicators pointing down. You've had extremely aggressive action from central banks. I think 2023 is the year that it's going to come back under control.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of other things too, which are probably positive. Um, a lot of the inflation we've seen globally has been due to energy prices. You're seeing governments globally try and cap. Some of those prices, we've already seen oil come off. And I think, you know, in Australia, we're also seeing um, the the federal government talking about some kind of energy price caps in the next year or so. I mean, they, they're they not going to have an immediate impact, but there's certainly um, A lot of things happening that probably weren't in the RBA's forecasts in their last uh, statement of monetary policy. So it'll be interesting to see whether they start factoring some of those in in February.
1: I think as well, when you read what the RBA has been talking about, they're also expecting low growth figures for next year as well. So I think the statement today said one and a half percent for 2023 and 2024, which you know, is probably the lowest I've seen them forecast. And considering they usually push their growth forecasts a bit higher than we expect, then that's already a pretty low number as well. So it seems like the strong growth, the high inflation, everything kind of setting up for risk markets is is going to be probably tested somewhat next year.
0: So one of the things that I guess Chris probably people leaves people scratching their heads a little bit is that. As we discussed, things in Australia look pretty good. You know, we're certainly not seeing some of the huge red, red signs of uh, um, recession and things like that as we are in the US. Yeah, the RBA and the Fed seem to be on very, very different paths. The RBA's language is moderating. They're talking about slowing down. The Fed just seems to have their foot flat to the pedal and uh, are not backing away in any way, shape or form. I mean, I've, I've seen where even people talk about the fact that, only doing fifty basis point increases as a pivot. Um, I, I'm not quite sure with what language that's a pivot in, but it's certainly not in the, the the language of monetary policy. Where do you think both central banks are heading next year?
1: It does feel like the divergence is going to continue, and it, it seems to be that the two central banks have very different ideas about what the neutral and kind of contractionary rate is. So if you look at the RBA. If you look at the the kind of numbers that we come up with, we kind of think neutral for the Australian economy is somewhere between kind of one and a half and 2%. And the RBA, I think, would say that it's probably clo- a bit closer to three, but certainly once they start getting above three, I think they would expect that they're entering contractionary territory. If you listen to what the Federal Reserve is saying, some of those members are saying that they think neutral is somewhere in the realm of five to 7%. So... If you think the neutral rate is kind of five to seven, then you've still got a long way to go compared to an RBA who's saying, look, we think it's somewhere in the three to four percent range. So as we move into next year, I think it does stand to reason that the Federal Reserve's going to remain aggressive. But as that curve inverts that we talked about before, as the economic data starts to fall away, I think at some point they're really going to have to slow down next year.
0: Yeah, it's... um... I, I mean, I'm I'm flabbergasted at times listening to what the Fed's saying. When you know we can see lots and lots of evidence that the U.S. is um about to have a relatively hard landing, yet they they still want to fight the fight against you know what I think is probably a problem from six months ago. I mean, yes, there are signs in the U.S. that particularly in services, um, they're still building inflation pressure, but you know, services probably didn't start to, um, you know, gain that pressure until well after the goods markets has already started itself on that path. We're now starting to see good markets moderate both in price terms and also volume, and yet, you know, no one is forecasting services to do exactly the same. That, that's probably the one thing I find the hardest thing with the Fed to understand. Maybe it's partly um, trying to jawbone markets into to behaving themselves, but I think, um, you know, central banks need to be a little bit more honest with some of their commentary rather than just trying to manipulate markets to how they want them to be.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think as well, certainly we kind of watch the RBA far closer than we do the Fed, but you know, we we discuss and look at both. When I look at kind of what the RBA and what I hinge our forecast for for the RBA, it's really how much do I think the household can afford. When I look at some of these forecasts that come out of the Federal Reserve, you know, the the more hawkish members like Bullard and Christopher Waller where they say 5 to 7%. I don't actually really know how they come to those numbers. There's, you know, econometric analysis behind it, but it's extremely hard to understand just how they've gotten there and and what it's based on because certainly The curve is saying that it's not that high. And as you said, the economic data is really starting to drop away now. So it would be suggesting that it's not that high either. So what they're basing it on, I can't really tell, but that's what they're talking at the moment. So I think you still need to believe them
0: yeah it's it's certainly uh, an interesting point um, about communications from central banks, and it's something we, we've spent a fair amount of time talking about. We've seen pressure on the RBA locally to apologize for their statements over the last year or so about keeping rates on hold. 2024. I think the RBA grudgingly did that. I certainly don't think they felt the need to, but one of the, and I think probably it was probably a little bit too late. And one of the things we talked about is that do central banks communicate at a level that the average public can't understand and really can't interpret properly?
1: I certainly don't think they do. If you kind of read research about pitching language to the general public, they kind of say that you need to write your information or your your news at a kind of year six to year eight lead reading level, just so that everyone can kind of take it in and, and really understand it. If you look at the the language that's used from the RBA, and I've kind of run some analysis over this, it suggests that it's at a kind of advanced PhD level of understanding required to know what they're talking about. So when they write forward guidance saying we don't expect rates to rise until 2024, the public can't really get the nuance that they're trying to push through. And so I think it's a little bit, you know, contrived for Phil Lowe to come back after that and say, you didn't read our caveats because they're writing these documents at a language that the the average person is really going to struggle to understand. I mean, sometimes I read their documentation and I don't even know what they're talking about. So when you look at the apology, it it's, I guess, good that he's done it. But for them to say, you didn't read the caveats, I think is a little bit silly because the general public, I think, is going to struggle to take in the message that they're giving most of the time anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, (laughs) out of all the central banks, it's probably the Fed that's going to end up having to beg for forgiveness the most. But I I certainly think they're the least apologetic so far of central banks globally. And uh, I think that's pretty much how the the year's going to uh, end. I, I don't think there's going to be any real change intact from them. But I think, you know, they suffer the same problem. Their message just isn't really getting down to the people that it needs to.
1: Yeah. And and certainly the way that I kind of look at this from here is to say, while they're trying to slow the economy, while they're trying to tighten conditions, it doesn't really matter because they've got the policy tools that they need, which is to hike rates. If they need to turn it around and use forward guidance at any time in the future, whether because there's a recession or something else occurs, then I think the credibility that they have in using that forward and forward guidance is going to be diminished because you're going to look at it and say, well, last time you did it, you just dumped it on my head.
0: Yeah, I think uh, maybe they uh, need to go back to communication school. <laughs> anyway, just to, to finish off today, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. If you had to take a, a, um, a view into thing, is the RBA done or have they got more to go?
1: I think they probably have one more to go, but we'll be talking about cuts at the second half of next year.
0: Yeah, I'm going to sit and say I think they're done. I think when they come back in February, um, the world might look a little bit different and and they may have changed their tune. We've seen this in the past um, quite a few times where the RBAs have come back from their Christmas break. So I think 310 might just about do it. But, you know, we've been wrong most of the year on how far (laughs) they can go. So take what we say with a grain of salt. Well, that's it for the year. In what has been a big year for monetary policy, we hope we've helped our listeners navigate the current landscape and maybe gain some useful insights. Uh, We'll be back in February 2023 when the RBA meets again, ready for the next uh, round of swings and roundabouts. If you ever want to discuss topics or anything further with Chris or I, we can be contacted at the rate debate at yariscm.com. The Rate Debate podcast content may contain general advice. Before acting on anything in this podcast, you should consider your own objectives, financial situation or needs and seek the advice of an appropriately qualified financial advisor.